Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and our YouTube channel where you can access all of our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. We are in we are in the fourth volume of this sermon series, uh, a number of series now that we're doing the book of Ephesians. This is the fourth volume and and uh, the title of this volume is a culmination of messages where we're focusing on community. And today's message um, is, I call, I'm calling it the sandal sermon. The sandal sermon. Um, this is something that I do every morning or mostly every morning. And I just want to get started by, by doing this today and show you um, what I call minding the riches. And the riches I'm speaking of are given to us in the first chapter of Ephesians, and it is uh, the, the volume three of uh, Rags to Riches. So what I do prayerfully, and I try not, it not to be mechanical or robotic or you know, repetitious or meaningless, but I do, I do something like this. I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, I just want to thank you, Father, for sending your grace and your peace to me from you and from Jesus. I want to lift back words of praise to you because you have spoken words of praise into my life through Christ and you've brought me into a place where I stand holy and blameless in your sight. I want to thank you that you've made known to me the mystery of your will, that you are working to bring everyone back into a place with Jesus all of creation itself, and I want to think on those terms today. I want to thank you that you have forgiven me, and the forgiveness that I have, it's lavished. And so I want to see myself walking, even if it's a sunny day, as if a downpour of heaven's rain is constantly washing my sins away. I, I want to just stand in awe of, of your glory, the praise of your glory, I want to be my focus because you have predestined me to be your son through Jesus Christ. And it wasn't a reluctance. It was based on the kind intention of your will. And you've put me in a place that you call the beloved, which means, Lord, when I pray, I believe my prayers are fine-tuned I believe that my sorrows and my worries that come up to you are in the tune of your beloved. That you receive my worship that way, even when I wonder if I'm going through the motions. But I thank you. And most of all, I thank you that I'm not alone. That when I believed your good news, you put the Holy Spirit on the inside of me to settle the matter to claim ownership of me from now until then, and you have given my eyes a new view. In view of the coming redemption when you come for me, I choose to see what you see. 
and pray that if my light is not bright enough, that you will enhance my light by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what I do uh, in what I call minding the riches. Um, from that, I want to remind you that last week's message was about a new point of view of you and me. You are vital. If you're a believer in Christ, you are vital. And if you're not a believer in Christ, God wants you to know that you are loved. He gave his only son. Not just so you could be forgiven of sin, but so you could be brought back into the riches that I just described. But you are not the only vital. You is plural, we all are vital. I have just as much passion that, you, that we meet with each other on Sunday morning as we have passion to meet with God. I don't in one sense believe in the, it, we're doing this for an audience of one. That's our trouble. That's our trouble. It's not an audience of one. Jesus said, if you say you love God and you worship God and you come to the altar to worship God and there is a brother or sister issue going on, leave your worship and go get that right because in God's eyes, vertical and horizontal, there isn't one more valuable than the other. It's all or nothing. We're in a volume of concentration called community. We have been placed in a love bond with God through Jesus. We shine in that love bond and we are to share not only our worship to God, but we are to share our gifts of this grace with one another because we aren't living fully until we are giving fully. And yes, when we think of giving, we think of money. And of course, when you come to God, you have to bring your wallet along because it's his wallet and he has purposes for it. And it's not just to give it to a building or a church. But we are to be a blessing to one another because we're not really living until we're fully giving. We are bonded not only to God, but we're bonded really to one another, but we're not in bondage to one another. We serve one another, but we're not enslaved to anyone. We are to be a blessing to his body, his family, that we listen to God and we're fed by the shepherd and on and on and on. And that is, that they, these are the riches and these, this is the philosophy, the theology and the mindset that we have. But that mindset of the heavenly places in the clouds, he, we get to chapter four where we're camping, not disconnecting from one through three. But in chapter four, what Paul is saying, okay, keep your head in the clouds, but your heart and feet on the ground. Keep your head in the clouds, mind the riches, but your feet on the concrete. That rhymed and I didn't even try. So today we're going to focus on one quality of many that are listed in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, which we're going to look at in a minute. 
But today we're going to focus on one quality of many qualities needed. This one quality will make our influence for him shine out, not just up, out. And this one quality will make our closeness to him enhanced more than it is. I'll show you that from a passage we're going to look at here in a few minutes at the end. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, where we picked up, where we started last week. Paul is writing and he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, and he was literally in prison when he wrote this, as a prisoner for the Lord, in other words, I am bonded in love to Jesus and I'm bonded in love to you. And as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, plural, you individual and you plural, I urge you, parishioners, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Fill the worthy meter to the full when it comes to walking out on the concrete this riches of God's grace calling. How? Be completely humble. First thing, how do we walk it out as rich people? Rich people in Christ, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Great passage. There's a story that happened locally that's gone viral nationally, maybe even internationally. You know it, probably. Um, Roy McCarty, whose sister was one of my sister's childhood friends, Rusty, Roy McCarty, was hustling. This, this is an article from NPR. Uh, it says, Roy McCarty was hustling through his local Walmart near Cumberland, Maryland. He'd just run in to grab some batteries, but got stuck in line. Anybody ever been stuck in line before? Yeah, huh? Okay, while waiting, he says he was struck by the cashier checking customers out. And then he says, I'm a business owner, so I always look for people who are personable, who work hard. I love that trait because I don't see it too often, he told NPR. And he looks up and he sees this little older guy there at the register and he's grinding at the mill. And he said, I was just blown away and thinking, oh man, that, look at this guy. He's got to be in his 80s. And he was. This man's name is Warren Marion. He goes by the name of Butch, part-time worker at Walmart age 82. And he had been a part-time worker at Walmart for 16 years. Before that, he spent decades working at General Motors, Honeywell, and even a 10-year stint in the U.S. Navy. Many of you know the story. We're not going to go into all the details, but Rory raised a GoFundMe for this, this brother, this man, and uh, it, it went over $100,000 by the time it, it, it got to today. Maybe it's even going on now. I don't know. But you know, this story made it to NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. It made it to NPR and other periodicals. It made it to uh, Fox News. I saw clips from uh, Lester Holt's program. I saw clips from the Fox News where they were both on there. Uh, since then, Butch has retired. He's gone to Florida, as he longed to do for years and years and years, to be with his family. But here's the point I want to make regarding humility. It was the attitude in Rory in the line in which he was stuck and the attitude he didn't possess in the line in which he was stuck that gave him the clarity to feel the heart of God and see what the Lord saw. And also, it was humility in the life of Butch. And this is humility too. 
to receive the blessing that love wanted to give him. We're going to talk about humility in a good way and talk about how a toxic humility can disqualify you, push you back, push me back, mess up the church in a bad way. Good way. Be completely humble in your faith community. Good way. Be completely humble in the world community. Good way. Be completely humble in your local community. Good way. Be completely humble in your church family. Good way. Be completely humble in your leadership circle. Good way. Be completely humble on Twitter. Good way. Be completely humble on social media. Good way. Be completely humble in the line when you're stuck. Good way. Because the good humility is the way we fill up the worthy meter of our calling. The good way of humility is the way we live out the riches of being rich in grace. Completely humble. Completely humble is, is a combination of Greek words, tapinophrosune. Tapinophrosune means completely humble. That's when you see it in the Greek, tapinophrosune. If you take that word apart, you have two words, tapinos. Tapinos means low to the ground. Tapinos means low to the ground. Tapinosune, the combination, comes from the, the, the word frane, frane. Tapinos, low to the ground. Frane literally means the diaphragm or the midsection, but figuratively used, it means the heart, the place of heart. So tapinosune means to be lowly of mind and heart in actions. Tapinosune uh, is the Greek word. In, 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 in Europe, uh, in the, in the centuries and centuries back, when the only Bible, someone asked me about a Bible translation this morning. Um, in, in Europe at the time, before the Bible was translated into English, the only known version was the Latin version and the Greek Hebrew, if you could read it, which hardly anybody could read. And most certainly most people couldn't read Latin. But the Latin word translated from the Greek was humilitas. Tapinosune in the Latin, humilitas, which we get the English word humility from. The word tapinosune is used only seven times in the New Testament, five times with a connotation of a good virtue, and two times in a toxic way. But what if you, if you study that word, what you find out is in the Roman Empire, and even back to the time of the Greek culture, even back to the time of Alexander the Great, tapinosune never had a positive connotation. It had a very negative connotation, lowly, without, on the floor, in the dirt, Nobody wanted to be that. And you don't want it to be seen that way. But Jesus of Nazareth, in the way he lived his life, because he lived that way, created the mindset that tapinosune was a virtue. And the followers of Jesus, the Christians who really followed him, not to Christians who just didn't, but the, the Christians who portrayed this elevated the idea of that. It's amazing 
what Jesus does to a thing after he visits a thing. Yeah. There are five places in the New Testament where toponosune is used, and don't let me impress you with my ability to say that. I practiced it about 500 times before coming here today. You ought to heard it at first. Anyway, toponosune. <laughs> If you, go, if, you, if you go and they ask you what kind of wine you want, they just go, I would like a glass of tapenosune. No, I'm just kidding. Did I turn you off? I'm kidding. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I serve the Lord with great tapenosune. I serve the Lord. And with, I serve the Lord with this. I serve the Lord and you. In tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. When he wrote the Philippian band of believers, the, his, his, uh, his, his Philippian friends, he tells us what humility is by contrasting what it isn't. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything in your community out of selfish ambition. Now there are healthy passions, we're gonna talk about this, healthy passions and, and self-health. Talk a lot about self-help. Self-health is important. Self-health is not selfish, it's healthy. It's mentally sound. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or Vain conceit. In other words, what is tapenosune? He goes, well, let me tell you what it isn't. It is, it, it's doing nothing out of selfish ambition. It's doing nothing out of vain conceit. That's what it isn't. But I'll tell you what it is. In humility, here's what it is. Value others above yourselves. It doesn't say devalue yourself. It says because only in a real healthy self, which Jesus had, which Jesus imparted or wanted to impart to, to his followers, it's in the healthy self. In the healthy self, you don't devalue yourself, but you lift others up to value. Of all the characteristics could be mentioned, to build up community in the church. Build up community in the global community. Build up community in the local community. Build up community in your home groups. Build up community in your interactions at work, in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but in humility. Lift others up to their value. Make that a passion. Make it a mission. So here's what we're going to say about humility, first point. Humility is an attitude. Rory had an attitude of humility in the line that he was stuck in. I'm sure he'd be the first guy to say, because he's a meat and potatoes guy, he'd probably say, hey, I'll be the first to say there's other times I don't have that attitude. And, and me too, you too, anybody else? Right, we're all human. But the concentration is, humility is an attitude. 
And it's also an action. And it's also an influence. Let me ask you, did Jesus influence anything by his humility? We said that Tapasuni, it was seen as something condescending, something, no, 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 I don't want to, until Jesus came. And then it became a virtue. Okay. Humility and gentleness. The two words that are at the beginning of bringing value to community. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Okay, so we know lowliness of mind and action is humility. Gentle means to have a light touch. And you know what? I discovered this from reading a book. I've read it four times now in the last year and a half by Dane Ortland. It's about Jesus. And he said something that I didn't know. He said it was something his pastor father told him that Dane didn't know. And his pastor father found out because he didn't know it either from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's sermon that was given in the 1800s. And it was this. If you search the four gospels, you'll only find one time in the four gospels where Jesus opens the window for others to see what's inside his heart. And he uses these two words, tapenos and the word for gentle light touch. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. You have yokes from the world, yokes from religion, yokes from Jewish religion, even today yokes from legalistic Christianity or all kinds of funky kinds of views on humility and all this. Then get that off you. Take my yoke on you. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, because I am light touch and tapinos. You want to see the heart of Jesus? Here's the window. Only one time in all the things he said, only one time mentioned, Jesus' heart is tapinos and a light touch on people. Talk about influence. So, those who possess those qualities reveal the life of Jesus untainted and unfeigned. Humility is an attitude an action. There is good humility, and as I said, there is toxic humility. Good humility exudes the power of the lift of burdens off. Good humility brings the love of God into light. It manifests it. But bad humility, tainted, not authentic, what bad humility brings in the name of humility, I thought about titling this as a joke, humility, and we're all proud to have it. Or, uh, or humility, don't you wish the people that needed this sermon were here today? Something like that. Toxic humility adds burden to people's burden. Toxic humility adds more pain to their pain. Good humility lifts people up to their value. Paul describes 
toxic humility twice. I'll give you one of them in the book of Colossians. He says this, don't let anyone who delights in what kind of humility? False, phony, phony, fake humility. And he describes the kind that was going on in the Colossian church. He says, don't let it get on because it will disqualify you. Now that word doesn't mean God will see you and kick you out of the camp or get you out of the, it doesn't mean that. It, it, it literally means it will rob from you the good graces of your life that God wants you to step into, not out of, because somebody comes with some sort of weird humility to let you know. It's like the brothers when David comes to kill Goliath and they try to talk him, they try to, they, they, they're, pro, they're projecting their junk on his motives. That's false humility. People do it in the pulpit, people do it in the pews. We'll talk about that. Don't let anyone who delights in that to cause you to not step into the light of your moments and times in God. You know, the Lord talks to me a lot about this because I've fallen into this trap so many times. And he said to me one time to help me, and, and I, I didn't tell you, I told you to love your neighbor as yourself, not more than yourself, or not less than yourself. Toxic humility can spread like cancer. So we need guideposts and steps toward good humility, and I wanna give you two, two models, and there are many in the New Testament, I'll give you two. The first one might surprise you. The first one is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, do you know, do you ever wonder when you read chapter one of the Gospel of John, this was written probably 60 years after Jesus ascends, all right? Six decades. That's as old as some of you are. Anyway, why when you're writing, John the baptizer has been gone for six decades. Why does John the writer, not the Baptist writer, not the Baptist, why does he have to put in there that John the Baptist was not the Messiah 60 years later? Why do you, you know why? Because in Ephesus, 60 years later, actually hundreds of years later, actually to this day, in parts of Europe, there is a cult to John the Baptist. As weird as that sounds, it tells you something about how powerful this man was. That 60 years after Christ, he had to write. Now remember, John the Baptist was not the Messiah. Did you ever notice that? That's why what I'm going to read to you and share with you is in the gospel of John. Some clarity about John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> Although the Baptist would like to claim him as the, ori the originator. He was a baptizer. It's not who he was, it's what he did. He was John the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. He wasn't John from the Baptist family. He was a baptizer. But here's his humility. He says, I baptize in water. They came out to say, who are you? I baptize in water. And they says this, but among you, 
stands one you do not know. And sadly, that's still the case around a lot of places, including our hometown. Sadly, there is one who stands among people that he wants them to know and they don't know. And another, sadly, is because in some ways, some of our explanation and manifestation of who he is is not who he is. Sadly, that's the case. But here is his statement of humility. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals. There's my reason for the sermon title. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. They wanted this man to be their superstar. They wanted him to be the Messiah. And when it was all laid out in front of him, he said, I am not only not him, I'm not worthy. And then he uses a culture idea everybody knows. A slave, as horrible of, of that thought is, human slavery didn't start in the 1800s. It was always that way from as far back as you can know. But he is saying, you know how slaves, when their master comes in, gets down on the low level on the ground and takes the strap of their sandal, unbuckles it, and then tapes, takes their sandal off and washes their feet on the floor? I'm not even worthy to do that. That's humility talking. Now that's not to say that God is that kind of God where he wants us to get down and wash his feet. As a matter of fact, stay with me. Jesus came into the water of the Jordan. And I don't know if you know this or not, but have you ever seen the water of the Jordan? There's a place where you see the pictures of most people that get baptized. That is very out of character of, of, the, of, the, of the main river. The river Jordan is murky and muddy. When it, it, look, it would look like you're going to get baptized in mud. Not anybody, I don't know if that's really, I don't know if I'd feel the Holy Spirit on that or not going with my traveling crowd to Israel to get baptized in the muddy waters. I'd rather listen to the artist's muddy waters than maybe do that. Jesus comes down into the waters of Jordan, which was for those who were sinners to confess their sin. And when he comes into the water, John, it blows John's mind. And John says, I need to be baptized by you. But you come to me. Do you see do you see this humility in Jesus? They wondered if John might be the coming promised king. John had such a growing popularity that they came from all north, south, east, and west to see him and hear him. John, if he had a bad motive, could have tempered his message to play to the crowds. John could have taken the opportunity to have a talk show. John could have played big business church and became a preacher with sneakers. John could have hired people. John could have hired people to post cool things about him on Instagram. John could have had fake followers that he paid for to make his numbers look big on social media platforms. But John knew, as the prophet said, promotion doesn't come from the east of the west. Promotion comes from the Lord. There's a statement of humility. John was a virile figure before there was a TikTok. 
And it's an unfair imagery of John to think he was just thunder in the desert, although he was. It's an unfair image of John to just think he was the bug-eating guy, although he was. He was very humble. How do you know he was humble? Because under threat of arrest, he continued to preach. And he preached what God told him to preach, and then he was arrested, and he continued to preach it, and then he was beheaded. John's purpose of ministry was to lead people away from his ministry. John's purpose of ministry was to create followers for another preacher. And Jesus called him the greatest prophet that was ever born of a human being. I heard an old preacher say one time, I'd rather have God build me up and everybody tearing me down than to have everybody build me up and God tearing me down. His heart, when they ask him questions, shows humility. When the crowd say, what should we do? He could have said, just keep hanging out with me. What should we do? He says, if you have an extra coat, give it to a person that doesn't have a coat. That's not conceit talking, is it? When the soldiers said, what do we do? He says, don't use your power to oppress the poor and don't charge them extra money so you won't harass them. That's humility talking. The greatest thing he said that shows his heart was this, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. I say this to everybody, but I say this especially to those of you who believe that God has put his hand on you. I say this to those of you who believe that God wants to use you in great ways. If God has put his hand on you and he has destined to use you, you will go through humility school and never graduate. And, like me, maybe repeat some sessions when you forget who's who. God loves us in all kinds of ways. He loves us in the ways that we sing about, fill me, put the lo- all that in me. You know how else he loves us? He also loves us when we need to get back on the floor. by bringing us down. Paul says it happens that way. Mind you, I can't see the clock. (laughs) Not that it matters when I have my glasses, but 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, Paul, the extraordinary level of the revelations I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me, the adversary's messenger sent to harass me. Guess who sent him? Hey, guess who sent him? Who sent him? The devil? Mm -mm. Paul, here's my love gift to you. 
I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this. But his answer was, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weaknesses. Paul, when you're on the floor, you lift other people off the floor. So Paul says, I will celebrate my weaknesses for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ. James says, but God will give more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Hey, let's quickly run and get in the humble line. Here's why God opposes the proud. It's the second model, who is actually the first model and the only model, and it's Jesus. In John chapter 13, it says it was just before the Passover festival. Imagine being Jesus as a kid, and finally, I don't know at what age, but by the age of 12, he understood that he was the only begotten son because when he's in the temple and they lose him, and they come back to find him, to correct him. They say, why did you create this anxiety in our lives? And he said, why are you anxious? Why did you look everywhere for me? Why did you think I might be down at the club? Why did you think I might be shooting pool? Why did you think, am I not to be in my father's house? Mary had said, your father and I have been looking for you. And he didn't say it's smart, but he just lifted their eyes to reality. My father's house, that's where I'm at. So by 12, he understood something like that. And then when, he's at the, when he's at the wedding of Cana and, the, and, the, and Mother Mary says, it's, hey, they need this, he says, my hour has not come unless it is. If, but, but mom, if, if, this is the, is, if this is the launching moment of my hour, remember what Simeon said? Mom, a sword will pierce your soul. So if this is the hour... We are heading to somewhere that's not glorious. It's gut-wrenching. And you know what she says? Whatever he tells you to do. Many times they would ask him this and that and the other, and he'd say, my hour hasn't come yet. When we think about our hour, man, this is the hour for Tim McGregor. This is the hour for them. Man, this is the hour for whoever. This is their hour. And we think, exaltation, limelight, going viral. Everybody wants to watch our live stream. Man, we had 400 views. We had 600. This is our hour. That's not the hour he's talking about. His hour hadn't come all through the gospel. His hour hadn't come. His hour hadn't come. His hour hadn't come. And now it says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Guess how he was going to leave this world? wasn't through an elevator. It wasn't through a chariot like Elijah. It was through Isaiah 53. But then he does this thing. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Different scholars interpret this different. It means he loved them to the, to the last minute of his life. It also means he then showed them the fullest extent of his love, which he would do at Golgotha. But I believe it's saying that in this moment, he does something symbolically to represent everything that he's going to do and 
we all are going to need to let him do. Because healthy humility is about a work that he does for us that we allow, not what we do for him. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. Wait a minute, that's slavery imagery. And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Do you know in order to wash a disciple's feet, you have to touch the sandal first? And do you know what John said? The man that touches the sandal is the slave of the man. I ask you, do you see now why Tapinos that everybody looked at it as a horrible thing began to become a virtue when the king of glory walked in it. And he dried them with the towel. Humility is an attitude. Humility is an action. And it's an influence. C.S. Lewis said it this way, humility is not thinking less about yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Jesus didn't go, I'm no longer the son of God. I don't have a special relationship with God. I don't have a father who loves. He never denied that. He denied his privilege of that. Aren't you glad Come to me. Let me show you the window of my heart. And let me show you in action my heart. He loved them to the fullest extent. How? He got up from the table, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel, filled a basin, and touched the sandal. So, those who possess these qualities, again, reveal the life of Jesus untainted, unpoliticized, unbaptized, unpentecostalized, uncharismatic, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. This is Jesus raw and real. This is Jesus revelatory. This is Jesus unfeigned. As a prisoner of this Jesus, I implore you, fill to the full the meter of your calling like this. Alfred Mercier says, the grace which makes every other grace amiable is humility. How do we do it? How do we live in that kind of humility? Watch this. Next verse. He came to Simon Peter. Now, how many of you know Simon Peter loved Jesus, right? How many of you know if there was anybody that wanted to stick up for Jesus until the, until the, the, the garden, until the, the how, right? He meant it to the bottom of his soul. Sword, battle, punch you out at the tavern, whatever. You didn't say Jesus Christ is a cuss word in front of him. He'd have duked you. That's who he was. All in. 
And his rep- he wanted Jesus to be known. He wanted Jesus, the kingship, to be glorified. He wanted people to welcome him into town. He wanted people to see him and not reject him. And I'm sure he had some salty terminologies for people that didn't get it. I'm sure if he would have tweeted, he'd have been tweeting about the towns that told him, get out of here. I bet he'd had something to say. Taking a stand for God. Why can I describe that? Because that's moi. And that's you. And he comes to him and he says, Lord, see, he's trying to get Jesus to remember who he is. Lord, are you going to be a slave to me? That's what he says. We have what he says, but that's what he meant. And then he says, in deep devotion to the character of Christ, no, you are this kind of Jesus. You, you, now, John, I don't, he could, John, John should be washing my feet every day. This guy, yeah, they all should be washing. But you never, never, never will you wash my feet. You will never come up from the floor to me. I come up from the floor to you. And he says... Unless you let me approach your sandals, unless you let me blow through everything that's triggering in your mind to protect my image of what we're supposed to say Jesus and God are like, if you don't allow me into this kind of ministry to you, you have no partnership with me. Because the release of power from God comes from the floor. In the touch of another man's sandals. In other words, when Jesus is going to say later, when I say I am the way, the truth, and the life, I'm not just talking about the way to the Father. I'm talking about the way you do Christianity. Then when Simon got it, what he always says that shows his heart, well then not just my feet. I mean, slave me up from head to toe. Right? That's him. Not finished. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and then he asked them questions. Here's the questions he's asking us. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're right. You are biblically right in your, in your confessions of the glory, the power, the, the you know, fear of the Lord, all that. You are right. But, because that's who I am. I didn't lose myself when I did that. You thought I did. I didn't lose myself. Quit trying to figure me out. Quit trying to steady my ark. Keep your hands off me. Follow me. Don't fix God. Follow him. We don't have to defend him. <coughs> Because usually when we're defending God, we're just projecting defending us. Next verse. Now that I, and folks, I'm sorry, but you can't teach what I'm teaching in 30 minutes. Sorry. 
I can't luck, I, don't, I will never lucky charms you. Hmm. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, you also, and as great as it is to have a foot washing service, you know, that's not the point here. Hey, I got an idea. Let's have a foot washing show. That's not the point. Because humility is an attitude. You should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do. One guy, I read, I read this the other, it, it got me, I can't get this out of my mind, I don't want to. He says, this was, humility is royalty without a crown. Humility is greatness in plain clothing. That's what Jesus is. He says this, very truly I say, no servant is greater than his master. So why, you know what I'm saying? No one that follows Jesus should be in a position of greatness above Jesus. Jesus is on the floor. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, heaven doesn't come from up there. Heaven comes from down here. You will be blessed and you will be a blessing when you drop this on people. Let me add this point. Godly humility starts by accepting God's kind intentions of will toward me in Christ Jesus. It doesn't end by receiving forgiveness at the cross. It begins. He comes on a regular basis. When we're looking up there, he is down here and he is coming up to us and this is mind-blowing and it triggers all kinds of religious spirits here. He comes up to us to undo the straps of our sandals. He comes up to us and we need to allow him to do that. And when he comes up to us in this way, he realizes the only way for us to get released from the laboring over our own self-image issues, of our own secrets, of our own stone quarry efforts of serving God, he comes to take the yoke off of us by taking the strap of the sandal and taking it off our feet and washing our feet and not just our feet, coming up it means that we, we have to not only one time, but continually give Jesus permission to be himself toward us. But this can trigger all kinds of things in my life and yours. Wait, wouldn't this be elevating me and making it a man-centered Christianity? Wouldn't this be elevating me above the Holy One of Israel? or excuses, I have no one to help me get into the water, or blame, others go in before I do. They this, they that, I would but they, 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 and here he comes. 
I'm coming to wash you of the they thing. Or blame, or memories of the past. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, if you do not allow me to come back from this view toward you, you push back, you have no partnership with me. In other words, it doesn't say you wouldn't be saved. He says, for you to have the intimacy in your life with me and to let it flow out of you to attract people, because listen, everybody is wearing sandals they can't get off their feet. Everybody is wearing sandals they can't get off their feet and only Jesus can get them off our feet and we have to say, okay, Lord, this freaks me out. I'm afraid I'm sinning against the fear of the Lord. Listen, people who have a healthy fear of the Lord are joyous. People who have a healthy fear of the Lord are intimate. They're not cowering back. They're not confessing 15,000 reasons why they're not good at this. That's that false humility past chronically the generations this is a deep this isn't just once this isn't just for the one or five people that walk to the altar every week and we all go oh look they need God we all need God it's a deep gut level confession of need ongoing he didn't say you'll find rest for your feet. He said you'll find rest for your soul. This kind of thing creates humility in a believer because everything we receive from God it wasn't earned. We pass through the triggers of all of this false humility that's been given and placed like a, like a killing, life-killing blanket on the church in the name of reverence. It's the same thing, the reason why the Pharisees couldn't go and receive from Jesus because they, in, out of good intention, were afraid, listen, they were afraid of the holy imagery of God to be marred. So they created commandments, not just the 10, but 613 more, because when you start controlling, the commandments never end. Because you're never secure. What if they break this? What if they break that? What if they break? How do we get them? How do we get them? How do we get them? That was the Pharisees. What a joy ride that was. So Jesus comes along and never broke a commandment of God, but he busted through those things because why? Because the only way for a Pharisee to get healed was for him to come and bust through that knowing it would cost him his own life for them to have any chance to be redeemed. That's humility. When, when we know it all comes from God, then we're not afraid to give it to others. Here's the last thing I want to say. The ongoing, the ongoing healing of soul, and listen, I know, listen. These terminologies we use that aren't New Testament, and I'm not saying they're wrong, breakthrough. All these terminologies, all these things we, that, that have now become, they, you know what they are? They're good intention things of, of real things God does, but they can be, they can be un, uh, unconsciously brought in and, also, and then we measure whether we're somewhere with God based on whatever in the world a breakthrough means. Well, what it means to this person, that person, all that. Read, take a good bath in the book of Colossians and get freed from that stuff. But listen, 
it would be great to say that there was this moment in time when everything just went papa. Papa is my messed up word for everything's good now and never will be bad again. Do you know that Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was the prince of preachers, they called him, do you know he had, he had manic depression so severely until the day of his death that, that never showed in public, but there were times that he was so debilitated by depression that they carried him to the doorway that led to the steps to the pulpit. And then he preached with such power that masses of people got saved and was carried back and laid in bed in the dark. I wonder if he ever prayed for God to give him a breakthrough. There are things in our life that we are pushing away, trying, and are the very thing sometimes, and I know you won't believe this if you're in the camp, but it'll give you peace if you do. There are things that didn't come from the devil. They've come from God. The ongoing healing of our soul comes from an ongoing permission to Jesus to allow him to touch the straps of our sandals. And there are some things that don't get off the first time, second time, ninth time. Positionally, immediately, we are holy and blameless. But experientially, has anybody ever been triggered by being stuck in a line at Walmart when Jesus didn't show up in you? Anyone? How about in your marriage? I thought, even tongue talkers. Just saying. How about after your breakthrough? How about after your revival? Hey, hey. You're all rich, but be completely humble with a gentle touch. Here's the prayer. Guys, you can come up. This is my prayer for me. Lord Jesus. Wow, man, that's great insight. Boy, that was an awesome message, Pastor Tim. How did you get that? I wish I was as close to God as you. No, you don't. I wish I had the... Re I wish I had... I wish I could see... I wish I... Uh, I wish too, but not the way that it's come to me. But this is a wise prayer. And usually wisdom comes through humiliation, not from getting it right. Lord Jesus, please show where my pride is hindering your progress in me and your power through me. Now it's prayer time. Would you stand? Would you close your eyes, please? I want to ask that you would allow the Lord this morning to not just this morning to approach you 
not from the heavens, but from the floor level. That you would push back your false humility where you give God the nevers or the idea that God would never approach you this way or what the Pharisees say. This guy is operating on the Sabbath so there's no way God's opening blind people's eyes. It has to be the devil. Lord, I pray out loud what I pray so often behind the scenes. Help me to allow you to love me without me feeling like I have to earn it. If there's anybody in here that lives on the earning love from God and people treadmill, please help us to trip and fall and like the conveyor belt, wheel us off that until we roll off into the corner and knock our head on the wall and then not get back on the treadmill and allow you to touch our sandals. Lord, I pray that you would help me to resist the the breaking Sabbath rule. And it's not about church attendance. It's about me trying to fix me, trying to grow up to be big and strong. Because really and truly, none of us are as strong as we think we are. Deliver me, if anything, from being a fixer. It's so weary trying to be a fixer. I lack peace. I can't settle. Help me not to look at people as projects, but as participants in the riches of your grace. Help me to seize the amazing promises that come from people who allow you to unstrap the sandals because they're amazing and the way to them is by giving you permission. Wonderful Holy Spirit right now is walking through this place next to you saying, would you let me touch your sandal? What is it in your life? What are the things that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now as he does mine. What are those things? What are the areas where you're afraid to let God be himself? What are the thoughts and the teachings and the ideas that you've heard and the whatabouts and whatabouts that are talking to you right now? They are those things. Take your hands off and let him take the sandals off your feet. Listen what James, the brother of Jesus, said. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Humility is an attitude, an action, and an influence. It's the ongoing healing of our soul. The opposite is muscling it up. No, like Naaman, who wanted healing of his leprosy in the waters of his choice, The great prophet Elisha said, no, God wants you in the muddy. God wants you to dip in the Jordan. Friends, as the band plays, let's take a dip. And let's say, Lord, touch my sandals. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. 
For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.